I mean, even if you said terrible things, like, you know, you can come back from that. Or even if you did like super embarrassing things in the name of Jesus or in the name of your evangelical faith, or if you're, you need to walk away from that altogether, like that's allowed, but forgive yourself, like move on. There's no, there's no reason to keep beating yourself up over the stuff we, we really, we all did. Um, and when you can do that, it's so much easier to move forward because you're like, oh, okay, it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to make more mistakes. That was Jamie Wright, author of the new book, The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever. And this book, oh, you guys, it is so hilarious, so heart-wrenching, so raw, so beautiful. And it really is the story of someone who had to make a tough decision to leave a system of thought and belief that really uh, just didn't work for her anymore. And uh, so enjoy this conversation. It's, uh, it's just vintage Jamie Wright. She's honest. She's real. She talks about, uh, you know, what it really means to, for her to be honest, to tell the truth, and what she sees in Christianity these days. And she kind of paints a picture for a way forward. And so I think you're going to enjoy her honesty, her courage, and you're going to want to get her book. It's called The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever, again, by Jamie Wright. So enjoy the conversation, my friends. Well, friends, welcome to This Good Word. I am here with Jamie Wright, also known as The Very Worst Missionary. Hi, Jamie. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have been looking forward to this for quite a while. So, uh, and I, I can't remember, Jamie, how I got in touch with your blog at first, but it probably, I mean, the title alone, like the very worst missionary, it's so <laughs> beautiful and I think so intriguing. So I have, I have lots of questions. Um, but my first question for you, I just want to dive in, like my sense when you started writing this blog from this place of being a missionary in Costa Rica and realizing, holy shit, I don't know. Um, what does it mean for you to make the decision to tell the truth? Um, I don't know that it, I mean, the truth is always a value of mine, (laughs) but, um, I think at some point, I'm assuming you're talking about just in missions in general and I think in life in general and really like take take that as an example but you you okay. strike me as a as a refreshing example of someone who's done their work enough to know that you know I I, I actually for my own survival and for the people that love me I need to tell the truth does that make mm-hmm. sense yes and honestly for me it is a value like I just I I didn't grow up in a, a home that was super filled with truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as a, an adolescent, I was like really good at spinning stories and sort of creating facades and becoming whoever I needed to be in, in the context of a, a room or a group or whatever. And so as a young adult, um, I mean, I had a baby when I was very young and, and just like getting, I think getting thrown into parenthood and realizing like, I, I don't want to lie to my kids and I don't, I want to be in a, I want to be a, a good example and I want a, a home and a family life that is accurate, um, and, and fair and that doesn't confuse my kids. And so for me, it, it started like this, this like kind of obsession with just 
being honest and being truthful started as a young adult where I just thought, this is who I want to be. I want to be someone who, um, just is who they are, right? Like, isn't, isn't an enigma, isn't a mystery, isn't whatever. Um, and I, I mean, I talk about this in the book. It, it, It was years. It took me years to really figure out who I am. Um, but telling the truth throughout that process has been really important to me. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of what makes your, your book, your writing, uh, so refreshing. And there's a story in, there's so many stories in your book that I love, but one of them in particular, <laughs> um, is so funny, was so funny to me. And that is the story it's in the chapter, bad Christians. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> It's the story <laughs> of your little little women's Bible study, where mm-hmm. the 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 topic of why you, as a mother who has no sleep and no alone time, should have a quiet time. Would you mind mm-hmm. telling that story? Because oh, it gosh. is awesome. It's so brutal what we yeah. do to these young moms. Yeah. I was I became a Christian in my you know at like 20, 19, 20 years old, and um. And, you know, did the whole like good Christian thing. I became like a really, I wanted to be like my neighbors and my, the, the gals that I was like in all these groups with, but I was a very young mom. I was 24 years old by the time I had my third child, my, my youngest. Um, so I was 24 years old with three little boys Wow. and under, you know, six and under. So they were, you know, <laughs> I mean, just young and rambunctious and, yeah. um, and sitting and I did this Bible study with all of these like upper middle class suburbanite soccer moms, Christian soccer moms with their little gold crosses and their mom bobs. And this was in like the early nineties. So we had our like, uh, or late nineties, I should say. So we had like our little like <laughs> denim coverall overalls. And I mean, it was just obnoxious, but double strollers, all of it, we did all of it. So, you know, we, I, I was, I felt so much a part of this group because here were these other moms that were like sporting barf on their shoulders and, you know, pulling random granola bars out of their purses to keep their kids quiet. And, felt this huge sense of connection and community. But when we started reading a particular book, it was like this Bible study I was showing up at and we, and the, the like alpha dog, the leader of this pack, she wanted to do this book. And it was like a how to guide for young Christian wives and mothers, you know, like how to be a godly wife and how to, I I mean, it was just really obnoxious and it had so many terrible ideas in it, but I think you called it twenty-two chap a twenty-two chapter guilt trip. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was just book. like here's all the things that you're doing wrong and all the ways you can fix it by by making yourself more beautiful and yeah. <laughs> sleeping less. I mean, just all these things. So there was this this chapter about quiet time and how mm. important quiet time is. And if you've been in the evangelical yeah. church, you know, like this yep. is drilled into you. Quiet time is like, it's the sacred cow of the evangelical church. You have to have it. You have to do it. If you don't have it, you're lacking something. And so all these young moms were all like desperate for quiet time. How do we do this? How do we get this? And, um, this chapter in this book that the writer was like, Hey, no problem. Um, if you need quiet time, you just need to get up earlier. Mm-hmm. Like you just need to get up before the sun comes up and, you know, when your house is quiet and peaceful and light a candle and read your Bible and, and you know what, if you're, if you're tired, it's okay because you can sleep when you're dead. And I lost, I lost my shit. I was just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I am already almost dead because I'm so tired. And this Christian leader is trying to tell me like, sleep when you're dead, get up earlier. I I mean, 
the the life of like a young mom with three kids is so desperate and lonely oh, yeah. and exhausting. Yeah. And so to have someone say like, what you need is to be closer to, to, you know, to be closer to God and to be a better wife and mom is less sleep. It just rung so, it was bullshit. I was yeah. like, this is bullshit. This cannot yeah. be right. And I felt so fiercely um, defensive of myself and every young mom sitting around that table. And I did something that I'd never really done before um, in which I was just like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because we have this habit in the church of just like nodding our heads and going along. And, and the truth is a lot of the, the other moms in the group were like, mm, mm, yeah, right, yeah. Who knows we what they're thinking, a... right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. anyway, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Like I, I knew I was like, what? Right, right. <laughs> um, and so I just, I sort of, I lost it. And I just kind of went on this rant about like, no, no, I'm not getting up earlier. I'm not doing that. Like, I don't care what Christian leader is telling me to do this. I don't care what their credentials are. I don't care how many books they've written. I am not getting up one second before my baby wakes up. Not one second because that baby needs me to sleep. Otherwise, I'm going to kill him. Like either by accident or on purpose, I'm going to kill him. I need sleep. I'm dying. And so I just sort of like had this like rant. And um, and basically I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm committing right now to not have quiet time. I'll just have loud time and it will be fine. And the response from the leader was kind of like a finger wagging, you know, yeah. like, well, I guess I'd rather be a good Christian than a good mom. Oh my gosh. Or a bad mom than a bad Christian. I don't remember, but it yeah. was like this, this very like shaming moment. And I just was like, mm, you're wrong. Wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wrong. Someone's got to say I, it. Right. And the truth is, like, in this room full of young moms, nobody was like, yeah, Jamie's right. It was just silence. It was like crickets, like so awkward. Um, And then somebody was just like, "Okay, moving on. And and everybody just like huge sigh of relief because we don't like tension in the church and everybody moved on. But for me, it was kind of this moment of triumph because I was like, hey, I spoke up. I told the truth (laughs) as I see it. And um and I didn't die and I wasn't excommunicated. Like it was fine. It worked out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just thought, okay, I guess, I guess that's allowed. Even though it's not really allowed, it, it, it can happen and you can live. So wow. it was kind of big. Yeah. I think, um, I love that. Number one, I love that. Number two, there's this quote that you also wrote in your book that said, it simply wasn't in my nature to conform as heartily and completely to the way mm-hmm. of church ladies. And, mm-hmm. oh gosh, I mean, so many of my friends in the church who are women uh, would underline that and, and probably poke holes in the, like there's mm-hmm. probably underline that so hard that it would rip the page. Because um, right. so, we try. Yeah, we oh, try. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like we think, oh, this is the uniform. I'm yeah. going to put it on. Yeah. And then you're like, this uniform doesn't fit. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Gosh. So I I somehow, for some reason, get invited to speak at this one particular church to their to about a hundred moms of young kids, right? And I just see, I mean, I see everything you described, right? I mean, just the like the tired, the exhausted. And so last time I was there, um, someone asked a question about about that, like how can I have a have a relationship with God while I have little kids? It just feels impossible. And so I, my like off the cuff suggestion was. You know, when the kids finally go to bed, pour yourself a very large glass of wine, and that's your connection with God. Like mm-hmm. that's your time with God. That's your that's right. your 
that's your time. It's called communion. Exactly. Yes, yes, yeah. And if you need to take a little little, little bread with that. Yeah. If uh, you need a cracker, I will buy it. (laughs) To sacramentalize that. Yeah. And it's like, but the, like people cried actually, Jamie, because a pastor was telling them that they didn't have to. And I'm not trying to say like, I have it, like I'm, oh, I was the savior, but I guess I'm trying to underline the the message that people get in the church, especially women, especially in the white evangelical church, is you have to be a great mom and a great wife, and the way you're going to do that is by sacrificing yourself no matter what. And that's yep. all part of the message. It's, it's yep. awful. So, man. Then there are women just dying for permission to, yeah. to not kill themselves over this. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's so good. Okay, um, so I'm going to jump all around with, with these questions, but what is inspiring you these days, Jamie? Like what, as you look around, maybe at in California where you live, as you talk to other writers, what's inspiring you? Um, na- nature. Yeah. Right now I'm just on this big, I live in a, I live in like one of the most beautiful regions of the world in Northern California. Yeah. And there's just, there are mountains and lakes and rivers and it's just so beautiful and um in the spring being able to hike and and be in like a tank top and yoga pants and hike through like patches of snow and and Mm. past icy cliffs but you're like it's 85 degrees and you're you get up to some like ice cold lake and you can make a fire i mean it's just i live in this beautiful almost untouched place or Mm. close close to these untouched places and so um, getting off the grid, getting away from my, my getting away from social media, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> getting away from gosh, the internet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just being with people that I love, mm. like real life people that I love, um, has been, that's sort of what's filling my cup these days. That's good. Yeah. That's good. You know, I'm not, I can't like say like, Oh, it's this thing I'm reading or, yeah. I mean, it's just going outside and like remembering that, I'm a small part of a very big world and that it's going to be okay. Well, I actually love that because I, I do think we, we live in a time where information, there's just way too much information. There's, there's way too many things to read. The news cycle never ends. And mm-hmm. so someone that says that they're inspired by breathing in fresh air and, and, and beauty actually is very hopeful to me um, because I think yeah, we're still stuck in this thing of I got to learn more in order to be more. <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah, if that's and the there's truth. a weird. It's it's a. I almost feel guilty like when I step away from the news or because you know, yeah. I want to be quote unquote informed. <laughs> I need to be informed, and I don't want to be ignorant, and I want to be. I don't want to know what's going on in the world, but it is overwhelming, and there is so much coming at us. Um, that for me, just having to say, I'm going to intentionally step back, mm-hmm. and pretend like all that matters right now is this little, this path that I'm on. And, um, it's just helped me stay, I think, grounded, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think you're right, Jamie, like the, there is a pressure to not only read, read the news, but also comment on it, uh, Mm -hmm. on social media. And if you don't, I don't know if this is real, maybe it's real. It seems like it's real, but if you don't comment like within a certain amount of time, then you're being silent or you're, you know, Mm -hmm. like you don't, you don't care about the issues and, and gosh, maybe, maybe I need to hear that sometimes. Maybe that's true, but gosh, I can get so tired um, from that. That that is such an exhausting way to live. 
So yeah, it is exhausting. And the truth is there are lots of people speaking into yeah. literally every issue on earth. And very rarely do I have something important enough to add to that <laughs> conversation. You know, like, what am I going to say? I don't care. Like, I just, I'm, I, I, I used to feel this intense pressure to like weigh in yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on everything. And now I don't. And you know what? The truth is, I understand that that comes from a place of privilege. Like I don't mm-hmm. have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I, I get, get that. I get to, I, we are, we all are, we're all sort of picking and choosing our battles, um, based on our own lives and lifestyles. But, um, I, I, so I understand that, but at yep. the same time, it, there's a place for it. There's a place to pick and choose to say, I don't need to be the spokesperson for every horrible thing that's happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that is attention. I mean, thanks for naming the tension. I think it is attention, but, it, but gosh, like a, a burned out crispy person is no help to anyone. <laughs> No, mm-hmm. like at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. You have a cat named Knives. I <laughs> True. He's staring at me right now <laughs> through the door of my office, just staring. I was waiting for it. He's going to start meowing if I look at him. So I'm not. <laughs> Tell me again. Maybe I read this, but I don't remember reading why. Now, the cat, like according to the book, Knives is is a you know, temperamental cats, so to speak. He's an asshole. You could say that. He's an asshole. Like, rude. He puts his butthole on all my paperwork. <laughs> like, in my mail. He scratches me. He attacks me when I'm not expecting it. He trips me on the stairs. He's terrible. Nice. Why did you call him, her, him, him, he? Well, yeah. Well, when when he showed up um, on our doorstep in the middle of a, like, lightning storm, um, he was this like tiny little teeny tiny kitten. I mean, like emaciated, almost dead little kitten mm-hmm. and um, brought this little kitten inside and told my kids like, OK, it was like a Friday night. And um, it's like, we're going to take this cat to the refuge on Monday. Um, where This was in Costa Rica where we were living at the time. And because that's when it, and so it wasn't open on the weekends. I said, we'll take this kitty in, you know, on Monday and we're just going to take care of it for them. So when the cat arrived, we were watching um uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Have you seen that? Not yet. Oh my God. It's so good. So okay. it's this movie. And, um, in the movie, there's a girlfriend and her name is knives chow. Okay. And I thought that was so funny. I like, I was just like, I love her that her name is knives. I think that's so funny. So when we, we jokingly started calling the cat knives chow, right. Um, because we thought it was a girl. We thought like the, in the movie, it's knives is a girl. And we thought that this kitten was a girl because it had no balls. But, um, like, after we fell in love with the cat over the weekend and then we were like, okay, we're not get you can't get rid of a cat after you bring one in. I didn't, I didn't know that that they had some sort of like magic that you can't actually get rid of a kitten after you, after you pet it. Um, and what so we're like, sort oh, of, uh, like reverse imprinting or something like that. It like, is. What is it's that? weird. It's like some like wizardry. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, Oh no, this, we belong to this cat now. And, um, so we kept it. And then like two weeks later or maybe three weeks later, it, the cat had balls and I was like, Oh, so we just changed his pronouns and kept his name. And so yeah. Awesome. So oh I didn't God. know that like that was a thing that cats like that. They just like drop later. I, I had no, I've never had a cat before. So, well, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm learning that now. Wow. I mean, that is yeah. a, that is a deep, deep truth. Uh-huh. <laughs> cats mm-hmm. drop their balls. Late. Yeah. They just like grow in one day. I was like, what? This doesn't look like a girl anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so um, you uh, and your family moved to Costa Rica, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago to be missionaries. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not as interested in hearing the journey of like being a missionary um, and, and people get this book. Oh my gosh, it is so good. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about that. But first of all, I want to ask you like Costa Rica, like what did you find beautiful about Costa Rica? Just the people, oh the, the gosh, place. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a, it's the tropics. It's paradise. It's a tropical paradise. I mean, parts of it are, um, the people are so friendly and kind and helpful and, um, just loving. It's a very like warm, like culturally warm place. Like you're very, they're very welcoming, um, which is cool. And it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's just this incredible place with like incredible, nature again like these like rivers and and the rain i mean i i love the rain i love rainy days and i live in northern california where it doesn't rain tons but um in costa rica like the rain is this this like force of nature just everyday rain and and it's so incredible so i i really love that um and just being in like this green constantly green place you know where it's just very vibrant and, Mm. and beautiful and of course, coffee, you know, yeah. carrots. There's a, there's just so many things to love about it. Honestly, there's mm. it's not all good though. I mean, there's a lot of property crime, and yeah. you know, that people. Will, I mean, if you given the chance, your property will disappear. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're not careful, and even if you are careful, and you know, so we had our house broken into, all of our stuff stolen. We had our car stolen. We borrowed a car while our car was stolen, and had the roof rack stolen off that. I mean, it's just wow. there's a crime and there's a lot of pollution there's a lot of terrible traffic and you know so it it's not all amazing but it is a beautiful country and I, it was really a privilege like an honor that i got to live there for five years yeah yeah um wow it's, so one of the things i loved in the story is is the creation of the football team <laughs> because mm-hmm. can you can you talk about that a little bit yeah. Um, Costa Rica, Central America actually has a budding, oh, it's, it's pretty well established at this point, but a, a semi-pro football league. And um, it, at the time that we were there, Costa Rica was trying to expand their league because obviously you need more than one team to have a decent league. Right, right. So I think they had four or five. I mean, I think maybe they were adding a fifth team and or growing a fifth team for this league. And um, and while we were there, and um, my husband was uh, played football in college, and so he was kind of recruited because in Costa Rica, people are like men are like five foot five, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he he was six foot six. Oh, so wow. I mean, just walking around and big, like big giant guy, and just walking around, people were always like, "Oh, you're are you a football player?" You know, whatever. So he was like in a public park, or he went to a park and saw one of our friends, and our friends was like, "Oh." you know, you have to come and see my football team. And so, um, just naturally through his experience and skills as a football player, he was a natural fit as like a coach. Um, so he started coaching D line for the semi pro football team. And, um, it was so, it was so cool. It was such a cool experience because it was so far from the whole like missionary bubble. Right. Yeah. And, it was just, it felt like, oh, this is real Costa Rica. This is real. Like it felt like real relationships with real people, um, without any like hangups without mm. any, it was just good. It was so good. And so we had, you know, this a hundred guys and all their girlfriends and wives and kids and, um, that we saw, you know, all the time, all the time. And then the other teams and the coaches on other, I mean, it was just this great community of people who were incredibly supportive of one another who, um, 
you know, just really cared for each other in, in remarkable ways and met each other's needs. I mean, in sports at that level, you know, cause it was like, I think 17, they had to be 17. Um, so seven, you know, 17 and up, um, there was a huge economic, you know, economic diversity. So you had, you know, some guys that were like, that, you know, made no money yeah. <laughs> or like stole cars and sold them or dealt drugs out of their trunks or whatever. Yeah. And you had guys that were working at Intel and had great incomes and bought condos. And, but, the, but once they put on those uniforms, they were all the, you know, they were all one team and they cared for one another with just abandon. It was great. Wow. Yeah. That seemed like a little Island in the storm of, um, mm-hmm. deconstruction. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it was like, yeah. huge, yeah. huge because, um, and I remember like a very specific conversation once where we were sitting there kind of trying to figure out what we were doing with our lives. Like, what are we doing here in Costa Rica? What are we doing? Cause this whole missions thing is such a joke. Yeah. And we were looking at like the work that, that was happening, um, at the mission, right? So the, the good Christian work we were doing, um, and the fruit of that and the, you know, what was happening in that space and the life and looking for God in that space. And then we were comparing that to like the, the love and, Mm -hmm. um, and care and warmth and friendship and, you know, all of these like Jesus like things that were happening on the football field. And it was like light, it was night versus day. It was, I mean, it was just, one was so dead, it was such a dead space and one was so alive. And we were just like, well, I think we know where Jesus is. Yeah. See, I love that. It's like even out of <laughs> even out of death, death mm-hmm. uh, and dying um, and colonialism and just anyway comes yeah. Yeah. this this experience of community that is that sounds so beautiful and so mm-hmm. or organic is an overused term, but it's like but yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was natural and it was um, pretty beautiful. Okay, so here's a question, and it's very related, but it's also related to the truth. Um, You brought up your background with evangelical Christianity, and and so, um, gosh, this is a loaded question, but I'd love to hear anything that comes to mind. In your experience, where is white evangelical Christianity not telling the truth? Uh, In church, online, Everywhere. I mean, where are yes. they telling the truth? Yeah, Name yeah. one spot. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I am, I have so little positive. I have nothing positive to yeah. say about white evangelical Christianity. Yeah. I wouldn't even call it Christianity to be quite frank. I mean, yeah. church, churchianity is what it is. It's, it's yeah. the worship of system, a system and, mm-hmm. and I want nothing to do with it. So, um, I think it is, it's just such a mess. And I think there's, I, I can't think of an example of truth that is being told. It's all, there's secret money trails and it's all, you know, hidden numbers. And it's, it's just, it's all yeah. smoke and mirrors, all of it. Yeah. It's all smoke and mirrors. Man. So this guy sent me his book, um, a couple days ago and I just picked it up and, 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 and the book starts with this parable. I, I, I'd, I'd never heard it, but it goes something like this. It's really short, but it's truth and lie went swimming. And when they jumped out, um, they were, they were both naked, but, uh, lie put on truth's clothes and went into town. 
but truth couldn't stand wearing lies clothes. So truth went into town, but, but got ridden out because, you know, you can't be naked in a town, but, mm -hmm. but lie kept right on, kept right on being in the town because he appeared so, so much like truth, you know, mm -hmm. um, gosh, and that's, that seems like the state of the church right now. I'm sad to say, yes. but I, yeah. but I agree. Yeah, um, interesting. And I think it's a great picture of what yeah. it means to be, um, to, to, yeah, what it means to tell the truth in yeah. the context of church. Absolutely. Yeah. You get, you get driven out. Mm -hmm. Um, have you ever heard the term Christian supremacy? Um, I have. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, essentially that's what you're talking about that, 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 this power structure, patriarchy, white, white supremacy is put on the clothes of Christianity. And, and that's most of what <laughs> is happening these days, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, you, at the very end of your book, you, you, you tell a story of, um, picking up this, going to glass beach and picking up a bunch of these, a bunch of the mm -hmm. sea glass. Yeah. And, and then that became this thing where people would come into your house and, and pick mm -hmm. up parts of the glass and tell stories. Um, mm -hmm. That seemed like that that was so significant for you. Would you mind saying more about what that is? Um, yeah, you know, honestly, it was just a pile of beach. Like there's this this beach up in Northern California where they, um, I mean, really up until I, th I think like the 50s and 60s, like until recently, they would just back dump trucks, back the garbage trucks to a cliff and dump all the garbage into the sea. And, um, eventually they were like, Oh, you know what? This is probably a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so let's stop doing that. Um, <laughs> and they stopped, but over years and years, all of this garbage, um, settled into this one beach and it just, you know, through erosion and tumbling and whatever it did, created all of this like sea glass. It's not technically sea glass, but it's all this right. tumbled glass. Um, and there's also like metal and car chassis. I mean, it's not all beautiful, but, but there's, you know, when the waves come in and out, you can just, it is just the way it sparkles on this beach is incredible because it's all of this broken glass that has been kind of rounded and softened over time. And so, um, when I was there, I just scooped up this, I just threw some in a McDonald's bag, um, and brought it yeah. home and we, and just put it in like a tray in the middle of the table and it became the centerpiece. And, um, and it just, it drew, it draws people in and it's like kind of like doing a puzzle or that, that where you're just sitting there kind of like, it's very tactile and people would just kind of like, they would sort it in, yeah. into colors or make new designs or patterns or just swirl it with their fingers. And they just talked the people that come in our house, hmm. they would just talk and, um, tell us their stories and the stories that came out over this pile of, of recycled beach of recycled yeah. garbage, right. That was so beautiful. Um, I mean, it was just so symbolic. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the stories were stories of pain and suffering and hurt and garbage and they were toxic mm -hmm. and, and then, but seeing God working in people's lives and seeing that like, no, 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 this is, a, it's okay. This is what God does. Like God takes our absolute shit mm -hmm. and, and he can make it beautiful. Yeah. And that's not to say that God shits on us and makes it beautiful. Right, I don't want right, to say that right. um, because I don't believe that. But that, um, 
but that, you know, life is not always perfect. And we make a lot of mistakes. We make mistakes. We dump our garbage in the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we're smart enough to say, hey, I, I think I can do better. And we do. God redeems it and yeah. makes it holy and good. So I still have that. It's not it's not my centerpiece on my table anymore, but I should probably mm-hmm. put it back. <laughs> Well, that I reading about it made me want to touch it, maybe want to see it, maybe mm-hmm. want to, you know, um, pick it up and feel it. And um, yeah. it's very evocative mm-hmm. uh, the way you wrote that. Um, okay, so I mean, this is a memoir, and writing I've I've never done memoir. I mean, I've done parts of you know parts of my writing's memoir, but what what was it like for you to spend a year or two writing this book? Was it dark? Was it hopeful? Was it all the above? I don't know. I mean, I didn't really set out to write a memoir. I was like, I'm going to write a book full of bitchy opinions about the church. (laughs) But it's sort of just sort of, I mean, it just, you know, this is just what it ended up becoming. Um, And so it's not like I set out to say, like, to have this cathartic journey of writing and sorting through my past. That really was never my intention. Um, but, um, But that certainly is what happened. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I would say for me, like, I'm not like a really, I'm not a prolific writer. I don't have like gobs and gobs of words to throw on paper. And so it was sort of torture. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, oh, I have to come up with more words for this chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of that, like a lot of like, I've said everything I wanted in 600 words, but yeah. it has to be 2,700. So yeah. fuck, what do I, yes, <laughs> what yeah. else do I add? Um, Cause I'm very like, cons- tend to be more concise. So I really had to figure out how to like long form, right? So that was like really painful for me. Yeah. Um, But as far as memoir, I don't really know that I know any other way to write. I'm not academic. I'm not, I I don't, I don't feel like I have a point. (laughs) So I just am like, that's what I do. I tell stories and, and talk about how they relate to my journey. So it just, that was the most natural thing for me, I think. You know, I, I, um, at the again at the very end of the book you you write about doing the next right thing mm-hmm. um and i certainly don't i'm not saying yeah you did you did have a point um but 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 that's what i got out of your well i mean i got a lot of things i, I don't want to minimize it to that but your story sounded like a whole lot of doing the next right thing um and so so talk about what that is for you what does that mean for you well, um, to clarify, I actually hate the phrase do the next right thing, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like with a burning passion. Yes. Like when, when I'm struggling, when I'm like, I don't know what to do. And my lovely, brilliant, uh, kind yeah. friends are like, do the next, Just right, do thing. The next right thing. I want to like punch them in the yes. face. Yes. I'm like, what, what does that even mean? If I knew what that was, I would just do it. I would already be doing it. <laughs> like my confusion is that I don't know what that is because life is complicated and I've already thought I was doing the right thing and it ended up being a huge fucking mistake. So I don't really trust my do the next right thing judgment. (laughs) Um, And so for me, it's just become more of a practice of I'm going to do the next most practical thing. Yeah. Like what is the practical thing for me to do in this when I don't know what to do? Like, um, you know, like, like for, for church, I had to walk away from evangelicalism. 
Yeah. It was a practical decision. It wasn't like I'm taking a stand. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it was, this is a practical decision because I am dying in the evangelical church and I see people around me dying and that I thought I was doing the right thing by like being a bridge builder, you know, mm, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, nope, nope, that wasn't the right thing. So I'm going to do the practical thing, which is to walk away and then I'll figure out from there what, what's the next practical thing for me. Um, in my life, doing what's practical has made me a writer. That's yeah. just the, the it, it wasn't my dream. It wasn't, it's not like I wanted this or wanted to be an artist. It's just the practical expansion of my life. This is where I've, I've landed. And so in practical terms, this is who I am yeah, um, and what I do. And so it's just really been freeing for me because it's much more scientific, I think, and much more like, like reasonable. I have reasons for the things that I do and I have to be accountable for those reasons. And so when I look back at the, the, the things I chose to do, I can say, well, here's the thing. It may not have worked out like the way that I'd hoped, but here are the reasons that I had for doing that. And yeah. it gives me a lot of, um, it relieves me of that pressure to yeah. do it right. Right. Of, of yeah. to, to, to constantly be like, well, I'm, I did the next right thing. Cause I, I, it may not be, but if it was practical, then I have a lot of forgiveness for myself. <laughs> Thank you for that. That that's actually, that's really, that's really helpful and clarifying because I mean, as I, as I, as I hear you talk about that now, it's like, yeah, I can see how there's, there's all these moral judgments on doing the next right thing. And, and then if it doesn't work out, then what does that mean? You know? And, um, so thank you for that. That was, oh. that was good. I like that. That was, that was really helpful. Um, okay. So maybe I'm, I'm winding up. I'm looking at my page. Uh, I've asked most of my questions, but, um, like if, if someone was stuck in a just get it right system where they felt pressure, like help, help someone identify maybe that's two steps behind their feelings, their actual feelings. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, and, and, and they need to make a practical decision. Like they need to do something like, what would you, what would you say to someone to help identify that? Oh my gosh, I'm actually at this place right now where I need to do something or I will die. Like mm -hmm. how, how do they help, help someone take a step and, and, and make it, yeah. make a realization? I think, and I think there are millions, millions of Christians. Yeah that are in that spot yep. that it, there's a paralysis that comes with realizing with like kind of looking back, especially along a faith journey where you were like, you really believed these things, um, and lived your life according to, you know, certain laws and bylaws. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden you find yourself like, like, wait a minute, I, I think I got it wrong. It, it's absolutely paralyzing, especially the way we like tear each other and ourselves apart online like we we talk about it and we need to be we need to be able to say hey like this was a mistake and here's why we need to be able to laugh about it we need to be able to um kind of d dismantle these broken systems but it is absolutely there's so many people that j you just end up paralyzed like where do i go from here i'm stuck and um i think the first thing is to i think if, if that person is still a follower of jesus like the the key issue is, <laughs> or was for me, was to remember that um, Jesus heals the paralyzed. Yeah. Like, this is a thing. This is a parable that we know, you know, and whether or not your personal belief is that that is a literal healing, um, 
whatever, if you were spiritually paralyzed, like, guess what? Jesus is like, no, no, no. Um, I'm going to help you stand. Like, that's what I do. I'm going to help you open your hand. That's what I do. And so I'm going to help you see. That's what I do. This is like, this is, these are the pictures that we have of Jesus living his life. Um, and so when you are in that spot where like you were blind and now you see, that's like, that's a gift. That's a yeah. gift that you've been given from God. And when you, um, are suddenly, you find yourself paralyzed. Well, again, God is like, Hey, 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 I'm, I'm here. I'm here to help you stand and to walk. This is, this is what we do together. And so I think that's a big part of it. Um, and the other part of it is, is you have to kind of like suck it up. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, yeah, you did stupid shit. You said dumb things. Like we all have, literally everyone has. And, um, it's just not that big of a deal. It's really not. I mean, even if you said terrible things like, you know, you can come back from that. Or even if you did like super embarrassing things in the name of Jesus or in the name of your evangelical faith, or if you're, you need to walk away from that altogether, like that's allowed, but forgive yourself, like move on. There's no, there's no reason to keep beating yourself up over the stuff we, we really, we all did. Um, and when you, can do that it's so much easier to move forward because you're like oh okay it's not that big of a deal i'm gonna make more mistakes Hmm. and and hopefully we'll just all look back and laugh (laughs) i love that thank you for that Mm -hmm. um okay friends jamie wright she wrote this book the very worst missionary a memoir or whatever uh (laughs) it just came out a month or two ago and it is gorgeous it is so good it will have you rolling on the floor laughing and crying sometimes. And it, I, I think it's a helpful companion on anybody's journey who um, is sort of had it with whatever system that they're, they're trying to break out of. So, Jamie, thank you so much for writing the book. And thanks so much for, for talking. This is so much fun. This, was, this yeah. is really good. It's really thanks good. Thanks for having me. I really I enjoyed being here. Fun. Okay. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for listening, friends. If you love this good word, there really are two ways that you can show the love. Uh, one is by sharing this good word. If you have a favorite episode, go ahead and email that to a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. That really helps spread the word. Also, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe to this good word. That really helps. And you can leave a rating as well. So uh, have a very beautiful day, my friends, and we'll see you next week.